great. Um, tonight we're going to read from the uh, book of John, chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 1. So if you've got a church, a red church Bible like this, it's on page 1079. If you've got a large print Bible, oh, it's on page 1670. If you've got another Bible, you're on your own. Sorry. So again, John chapter 12, and we're going to start at verse 1. Uh, So in the previous chapter, one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, has died and then been brought back to life again. And the Pharisees have started plotting to kill Jesus. So John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Thanks be to God. I wonder, what comes to mind when I say the word worship? Uh, Perhaps the first thing you think of is being uh, at church on a Sunday like today, uh, joining in communion and prayer and sung worship and hearing a sermon. Uh, Perhaps for you it's being outside in creation, recognizing the creator who made it all. Perhaps when you hear the word worship, you think of a a large sort of worship conference gathering, something like Soul Survivor or New Wine, uh, with thousands being caught up with the spirits. Perhaps you might think of a quiet time, maybe you had one today, uh, a time alone with God to worship him, to give him thanks. What is worship? True worship. Is it a a Holy Spirit-filled experience? Something you have to feel, you know, to know it's real? Or is it something more? Today, from our passage, God will show us what he values in true worship. And he'll show us that it is an all-of-life kind of thing, found both in the mundane and the majestic, in the simple and the sublime. Put simply, true worship, real worship, is giving all of our all in service of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an all-of-life thing. With that, please bow your heads to pray. Generous Father, by your Spirit, show us this evening what you value in worship. 
and turn our hearts to offer you our all, our whole life and everything we have without restraint. In your Son's name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Do have your Bibles open as Rich just read them out to us from John chapter 12. It's on page 1079 of the the Red Bibles. This is the final sermon in our series for now, looking at encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel, before we move to a Lent series looking at encounters at the cross. At the start of our passage tonight, the sense of the phrasing is, is, is difficult to determine here. John's really saying, if we look at it, this. Because the Passover was near... Jesus arrived at Bethany. You'll know if you read the passage between last week and this week that Jesus had left Bethany, which was about two miles uh, from Jerusalem, uh, and traveled north to Ephraim, about 20 miles from Jerusalem. He did this when he got wind of the Jewish leader's plan to have him executed. There he stayed for a little while until the week of the Passover feast, this week, Arrived, And therefore, as John keeps liking to say, his hour was near. Remember that the world is running according to God's clock. And Jesus is completely in sync with his Father's plans and will. It's striking, as I read this, I don't know about you, that John reminds us in verse 1 of chapter 12 that Bethany was the place where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He does it again in verse 9. That's striking because if we were hearing this book read aloud to us, as John's first hearers probably would have done, then we'd know what happened in Bethany because we would have just heard it read. It was a chapter ago. John is at pains here to underline the significance of this encounter at this place at this time because this encounter sets up the trajectory of the rest of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. What's happening here is taking place on a Saturday, probably in the evening after the the Sabbath, the day of rest, holy events have ended. It's six days before the Passover, and that's that's significant. The countdown has begun to Jesus' death and resurrection. His final week of earthly ministry is drawing to a close. In the middle of our passage, Jesus himself makes reference to this in verse 7. He says, It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Jesus is frank. He's clear. He's unapologetic about what's coming up. And John has already revealed to us the intention of the Jewish leaders. Glance back to chapter 11, verse 53. So from that day on, they, the Jewish leaders, plotted to take Jesus' life, life and death. Two key and intertwining themes that go back and forth in John's gospel. But remember John's purpose statement that he wrote at the end of his book. That you, me, everyone who hears and reads this gospel may believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's chosen one, the Son of God. And that by believing you, me, all of us may have life in his name. Eternal life, life that comes only from God. But for us to receive this life, Jesus must first pour out his own life and pass through death for us. 
If you know your Gospels, you'll know that our story has parallels in both Matthew and Mark. There, they tell us that the house this takes place in belongs to a guy called Simon the leper, or Simon the ex-leper, if we're probably being more precise. Uh, 12.2, unsurprisingly, a dinner was held in Jesus' honor in this town. As only a little while ago, the whole town had come out to witness Jesus raise Lazarus back from the dead, emerging from the dark tomb, his body still wrapped in the grave clothes, like we heard last week. Jesus is the guest of honor, and, and who better to be seated with him than Lazarus? Can you picture the scene with Jesus and his disciples around the table, alongside Simon the ex-leper and Lazarus? You can imagine Simon talking about his healing. Jesus touched me, and suddenly my, my fingers started growing back, and the scabs on my arms fell off my face, stopped itching, and then all of a sudden, Lazarus interrupts. No offense, Simon. I mean, it's a good story and all, but that's nothing. I mean, I died, like literally dead. And my body was sealed in a tomb for four days whilst I was up in paradise chilling out with Noah and David and Daniel. And then, before I knew it, I heard Jesus calling my name, drawing me back to life to see you all again. As an aside, can you see through the curtain that John has left slightly open for us, for what he's trying to show us. Lazarus sits here at this table, enjoying new life in the presence of his saviour, feasting at this banquet. Lazarus gives us a small peek into what we who believe in Jesus will one day all come to share in. One day, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe in a thousand years, Jesus will come again. And he will raise from the dead every single person who's ever lived from the beginning of the world. All those who have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, whilst they were alive, will be welcomed into his renewed earth to feast at his table, to enjoy eternal life in his presence. At this table here, Jesus is the guest of honor. But one day, at his table... We who believe will be his honored guests. At his table, we get a small glimpse of heaven. Back to our story. And we see Martha doing what only Martha would do. Busying herself, perhaps among a number of other women from the town, serving Jesus at this party. You probably know the story from Luke chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples pop in to see their friends, Martha and Mary. Martha, like a good host, gets herself busy preparing the food, making fresh bread, laying the table, cleaning the room where they're going to be eating. All the time she can hear laughter and banter and chatting from Jesus and his disciples in the next room, relaxing and waiting. But she's frustrated because while she's getting everything ready, her sister, Mary, is just chillaxing at Jesus' feet. A flustered Martha pleads with Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But Jesus soothingly replies, Martha, Martha, 
you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen which is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There was so much that seemed right to Martha to do. But the one thing that was needed, the better thing, was to rest, to be in Jesus' presence, listening to him. So in our passage, we have that same Martha, perhaps now with a great smile on her face rather than a sour frown, serving Jesus, serving Lazarus, the disciples and their friends. Since that earlier embarrassing encounter in Luke's gospel, Martha has come to realize that what she was doing at the last meal, her service, that wasn't wrong. Otherwise, in serving now, she's going against our Lord's teachings. Instead, Martha realized that it was her attitude that counts. You probably know Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Living sacrifice means all of life worship. Whether you are cleaning the house or working in the bank, whether you are toilet training your children or getting a hot drink at open doors, whether you're cooking supper or singing in the church sung worship team. As Christians, all of our life is worship when we have the right posture and attitude towards God our Father. We can choose to complain to moan, to feel hard done by. Or we can serve, we can minister. That's what minister means, someone who serves. We can minister humbly, joyfully, lovingly, true and proper worship which is pleasing to God our Father. Martha's act of worshipful ministry is now accompanied by another example of whole life worship from her sister Mary. Now, as you heard this story being read, you might remember, your mind might be drawn to a similar story of Jesus at a feast in a house and a a woman weeping at his feet and, and wiping them with her hair. That's a different house. That's a different woman. That's a different story. But one that I reckon Mary would have had a deep remembrance of. As the guests are speaking and bantering and laughing, the scene is interrupted by Mary holding an alabaster jar full of expensive nard perfume. Mary stops whatever she's been doing, verse 3, to take her customary place at Jesus' feet. But rather than this time listening to him, this time she is serving him also. Pouring this expensive jar of oil, a year's worth of wages, all over Jesus' feet and his body and his head, according to Matthew and Mark. Did you notice also how the house is now filled with the fragrance of this perfume from from floor to ceiling? She hasn't just poured a few drops of this expensive perfume on his feet. She's broken the whole jar over him, every last drop, soaking Jesus' head and his beard and his robes and his chest and his feet. Like Martha... Mary is engaging in whole life worship, lavishly, generously giving all she has, her her most treasured possession to her Lord, Jesus, 
<coughs> lovingly, unashamedly. I don't know how you're feeling, but if it was me, the men in the room would likely be feeling quite uncomfortable at what's going on as they, they witness this unfolding. But Mary's not ashamed of her actions. Like the other woman, wasn't ashamed of cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears. Mary and Martha were both passionate in their worship, their service of God. Sometimes, probably more often than not, it's not wrong for us to be passionate, to be extravagant, to cry in our joyful service of our Lord. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in this room and this sweet, fragrant perfume is overpowering all the smells in the room, the smells of the, the grilled meats and the oven-baked breads, the, the, the smells of the, the feet. It's filling your nostrils and it's, it's getting right down inside your lungs. Remember that Mary wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. As Mary stands up from his feet, as she walks around the house, as she walks around her village, she carries with her that fragrance, the aroma of her offering trapped in her hair. Brothers and sisters, all of our life as worship, our service of God, should leave a mark, should make us stand out as different from the world around us. Our acts of love and kindness and service and words in the name of Jesus should linger about wherever we go, like a fragrance and aroma of Christ. Whatever context we're in, all of life, worship. Mary's worship was lavish, was costly. A year's wages worth. I wonder, how does that equate in your life? For Martha, I, I doubt she would have thought much of perfume. But she offered her most treasured possession in worship of Jesus, sweat, hard work, putting the needs of others before her own. Both are a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Both are costly, all of life worship. What would you give for Jesus? What is your most valued possession, your most treasured thing? Your savings, your status, your house, your children's education, your holidays, your relationships, your pride. Whatever it is, would you give it up for Jesus? Mary gave her very best to Jesus without holding back a single drop, forsaking the rude remarks and the shame it would bring on her. And her offering, her worship, Jesus says of it in Matthew's Gospel, she has done a beautiful thing for me. He is pleased with the fragrance, the aroma of her offering. He is honoured by it because it was so costly, because she did not spare her most treasured possession, because she gave all of it for him. The house was full of the aroma of her worship. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that God leads Christians as Christ's 
captives, owned by him, to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We who believe are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ in the world. Brothers and sisters, we are the aroma of Christ, which honors him and brings him glory. But this doesn't occur when we are half-hearted in our worship of him, when we withhold from his service what he has already so generously given to us, when we offer half our hearts, half our ambitions, half our bank accounts, half our talents, half our time, half our lives, half our relationships. No, the pleasing aroma of our worship comes when we give him everything, wholeheartedly, sacrificially, because we know that he is worth our highest honor, highest praise, and outrageous worship. Some of you here may have been missionaries serving overseas, and you know firsthand the sacrifice of giving up homes, incomes, families, comforts and freedoms in your worship of the Lord. A pleasing fragrance to him. Many of you here know the cost of worship, giving sacrificially of your time and your money to serve God. People often say to me that they're impressed by my family and I, what we've done in leaving well-paying jobs in London, in leaving significant relationships and homes and schools, in giving up our weekends and more to minister for the Lord. I couldn't do it, they often say. And as my wife and I pray, we know that there is far more that we withhold from God, that we don't give him. There is far more we can joyfully offer him in worship, which we are not yet. But when people say this to me, my answer is always the same. God calls all his followers, all of us, to give our lives, our desires, our possessions, our choices, the things we treasure most, to give them to him in worship, to trust him with them. My family and I, missionaries, each of you who already do this, we all know that we're not special for doing this. We are just living out plain, ordinary, everyday, basic Christianity. This is the calling of every Christian. Prayerfully submitting to God and trying to give all of our lives in worship to him. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you from Mary's example to be extravagant, generous and uncompromising in your worship of Jesus and to find great joy and love in giving your all for him. Not just on a Sunday, not just when you sing, but all your life. And if you're not a blessing to others, if a relationship with you doesn't lead someone around you to think of Jesus, if your life, your spirituality, your worship feels dry, then do what Mary did. Get on your knees in prayer and pour out your all, your everything, your life before him. There's another character 
who shows us the complete opposite of these two women's self-giving love. Where those at the mill saw acts of love and service and generosity, Judas saw a complete waste. He says in verse 5, Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He sounds right, doesn't he? He has a point. I mean, a whole year's worth of wages on a bottle of perfume? When the food bank down the road is running empty? What an utter waste. Now, we won't dwell on Judas here tonight, as we'll encounter him in two weeks' time. But we need to understand Judas's concern in light of his character as John presents him. John adds for us in verse 6, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Mary has shown herself as selfless, as generous and unashamed in her service, her worship of the Lord. Judas, by contrast, was selfish, jealous and materialistic, focusing on what he could get and keep rather than on what he can give and share. One writer, R. Kent Hughes, puts it particularly well. To the heart that has never met God, worship seems a most impractical wasteful pursuit. If you sense in your heart, as I sometimes do in my own, a tendency towards Judas-like thoughts, concerned with your own worship and glory, with what we should cling on to, rather than Jesus' glory and what we can let go of, then I encourage you, pray that God by his Spirit will soften your heart. You might ask why. Why should we give our all to Jesus? Why should we offer him our whole life in worship? Why should we be extravagant, sacrificial and generous in our worship, our service of him? Because, brothers and sisters, before our lives could be a fragrant offering to the Lord, Jesus' own life had to be. At the end of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you, and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The sweet-smelling fragrance of our worship, our love, which follows us around, which lingers on us and fills the places where God has put us to live and worship, are perfumed by the far sweeter fragrance of Jesus' self-giving love for us. Why should we give our all for Jesus? Why should we offer him all of life worship? Because he gave his whole life up for us. Why should we be extravagant sacrificial and generous in our worship and service of him because he left the glory of his throne in heaven sacrificing every comfort and taking on a frail body just like our own encountering hunger and thirst and growing pains pain and excruciating agony in his worship of his father as he served us extravagantly sacrificially generously Why should we pour out our best at his feet? Because he poured out his life 
for us? Yes, it's a response. But frankly, what better response is there than to give all of our lives in worship of God, the God of the universe, who willingly gave up all of his life to love and serve us? Martha and Mary both gave their best in worship of our Lord. Martha in the mundane and everyday acts of life with love. Mary with the costly and extravagant nard perfume. Both lives poured out in love and service of Jesus in all of life worship. A pleasing aroma. A fragrant offering to God. And through their worship, the fragrance of Christ lingered over them wherever they went. What is real worship, true worship? Something reserved for a church or a worship conference or to be kept private? True worship is an all-of-life thing found both in the mundane and the majestic, in the simple and the sublime. Put simply, true worship, real worship, is giving all of our all in service of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an all-of-life thing. Do we want our lives to be lived in true worship as a fragrant offering to God and a blessing to others? If so, pray that God would give you joy in your sacrificial service of him. That by his spirit he would move your heart to withhold nothing from him. To offer him your everything in all of life worship of him. And to do so with great joy and thanksgiving. Amen.